Hello everyone and welcome back to a brand new podcast where today we return with episode 96 of Knowing Wheel. We're back, it's Tuesday once again and of course as always I'm joined by Jamie183. How how are we doing mate? I'm good, I'm good. It's, we're deep into F1 off season so we've, uh, we'll do our best to bring you all the latest but there really isn't much to say about this week so uh, yeah we'll, we'll have some fun anyway I'm sure. Yeah, it has been a very... I mean, like Jamie said, it, it's F1 off-season. The, the views are down. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be on the streets very soon. This is the first <laughs> January off-season I'm having to try and survive as a full-time content creator. It isn't very fun. Uh, we did think about trying to do a bit of a normal podcast this week, you know, sort of just going over news stories and things like that uh, from the last week in the world of Formula 1. But literally the only thing we could really talk about uh, was that Alfa Romeo Sauber have confirmed their car release date, which, if I remember correctly, Jamie, I forgot what date it is. I think it's the 7th. I, we believe it is the 7th of February. of February as well. Of course, like we said, we are going to be aiming or we're going to try and cover as many of the car releases as we can. Jamie's actually away on holiday for some of it, so there might be a couple that are just me. <laughs> you can just get myself. a screenshot of my face and stick it next to you. It'll I will be getting give, a screenshot of it'll Jamie's give face. as good insight as I usually do. It probably so. will. It probably will. You're absolutely <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, you know, if you do enjoy the podcast, though, uh, as always, you know, if you're watching on YouTube, please do click the links down in the description below as well, of course, to Twitter, uh, YouTube. This is uh, obviously the clip channel, uh, TikTok, uh, Instagram as well and of course Spotify but also I'm going to try finally now and get this released on Apple Podcasts as well uh, for those of you on iOS so yeah greatly appreciate if you could give us a follow but yeah today we decided then of course for those of you that sort of are around the Matt212 YouTube channel anyway I've been running a poll recently discussing Formula 1's most iconic car and now there were a couple of caveats to that I limited it down to just championship winners Otherwise, I was probably going to end up with about 700 different options <laughs> uh, for cars that could be deemed iconic. Of course, that poll is still currently ongoing over on the YouTube channel. Uh, so, you know, if you want to go vote on that, head over to the community tab on my YouTube channel. But Jamie and I decided, a bit like we did with the best ever Formula 1 driver, we're going to go through. Now, if you remember, Jamie, back to that best ever F1 driver, we actually came out with a different result to what the uh, Matt 2 and 2 community voted. Mm. Do we yes, think that's well, going to happen again? I actually don't know what the result... Oh, it's still ongoing, isn't it, you just said? So it probably will, to be honest, because obviously when you give anything to a bunch of people, it's it's unsure if you should trust their decision, their outcome. Democracy is uh, interesting at some times, especially people on YouTube, <laughs> where there's no consequence, really. They just vote for the first one they see. But that's I not mean, what no I'm saying. No consequence seems a bit strict, but... <laughs> <laughs> I think... This isn't called knowing wheel for nothing, so we will clearly know above average. Since I th- didn't Sebastian we, we Vettel become be like one of the fourth of all time or something in your community? He was poll. ranked inside. He was ranked better than Alan Prost in it. Hamilton um, was voted as the best driver of all time, which I think is fair. Which is perfectly, perfectly fair. Um, <laughs> but we've got sixteen cars. Then, like I said, you know, it is exactly the same sixteen uh, that we've been doing over on the community tab. So running in, I'm going to try and do it in. Uh, age order from oldest to newest we've got the mercedes w196 of course that led fangio to two world titles in 1955 and 1956 we've got the brabham bt19 uh, from 1966 of course famous for being won by jack brabham of course the only formula one car uh, to bear the name of its champion in its name uh, we've got the ferrari 412t which i just realized i put the t2 date on there uh, it is actually the car from 1975 uh, that led nicky lauda to his first formula one world championship 
We've got the Williams FW07B from 1981. We have got the McLaren MP4-4 from 1988. We have then got the Benetton B1, uh, sorry, the Williams FW14B from 92. The Benetton B195 from 1995. Uh, then we've got the McLaren MP4-13 from 1998. The Ferrari F2002, the Ferrari F2004, the Renault R25, the Braun BGP 001, the Red Bull RB9, the Mercedes W07 and W11, and last but not least, the Red Bull RB18. That was a mouthful. That was a lot of numbers and letters. Well done for getting through it without Thank you. Choking. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, let's just get into it then. I mean, what we'll probably do, of course, is talk about the, each of these cars' historical um, you know, significance when we get into them. First round, Jamie, I was quite surprised by this, is actually the oldest car going up against the newest. It's the Mercedes W196 going up against the Red Bull RB18. Yes, and I think my initial thought of this is kind of... The, the Red Bull this year was generally until the second half of the season wasn't actually that much faster than the rest of the field. It was probably in super times up until the summer break just behind the Ferrari, I would imagine this year. So for me, the Mercedes has to win this, I think. I was thinking exactly the same. It might instantly be quite an unpopular opinion because of course, again, yeah. YouTube generally <laughs> tends to have a recency bias. But the Mercedes W196, of course before Braum was the last car from a new team to win on debut of course Mercedes were a mighty powerhouse anyway mm -hmm. they convinced Fangio to leave I think it was Alfa Romeo at the time to come to Mercedes halfway through the season to drive the new 196 it was also famous in its I uh, cannot quite in the aerodynamic the sleek version of the car i can't quite remember the name of it off the top of my head uh to feature closed wheels um mm. and of course like we said won two world titles it was the only team fangio won two world titles with yeah he was a bit of a team hopper back in the 50s to be fair but i do think uh if you haven't seen a picture of this car it is insane it's so cool i think lewis hamilton did a did a, a feature with it in yes. 2020 ish maybe yes yeah um which was just incredible sky sports youtube channel probably has it so go and check it out if you haven't and yeah the red bull in terms of numbers is probably the i think it is statistically the the most successful car in terms of wins but obviously much longer seasons now and it was massively helped by an incredible driver at the top of his game so just the like fact, the w196 yeah because in the 50s a driver made much more of a difference i suppose but i do think that in terms of outright speed and how ahead of its time it was the red bull was not that much ahead of the ferrari certainly and by the end of the year we saw well brazil basically mercedes and i guess and for other tracks like that mercedes were kind of there as well so i don't think the red bull can win this round and i mean this is the thing isn't it as well of course you mentioned you know the red bulls uh took well, how many was it 17 or 18 wins uh max got 15 and Checo 15 got two, I believe. 17 wins in 20 three 22 races wasn't it uh the 196 won five of its eight i'm pretty certain it retired from the other three uh <laughs> so it would have been incredibly dominant in that regard as well and of course we're not just asking for dominant formula one cars we're asking for iconic formula one cars exactly. yeah we're still talking about that mercedes nearly 70 <laughs> years later of course you know 
the the RB18, don't get me wrong, is special. And I'm sure it will be spoke about in the future. But this was Mercedes' first F1 mm. car. And, of course, the fact they then went away after the Le Mans disaster and came back in 2010. And, of course, we saw them, the dominant run they had as well then. The the W196 is iconic, isn't it? Surely. Yeah, yeah. It has to. has to go through for me. We will put that through then in round one. Up next then, Jamie, I feel like this one again, I mean, all of them are quite difficult and potentially controversial to go through. We are pitting the 1975 Ferrari 412T against the 2020 Mercedes W11. Mm. Yeah, I I would need to look at some numbers for the 75 one, to be honest, but I would struggle to look beyond the 2020 Mercedes. <laughs> that yes, was just yeah. incredible. Like... The, the gap they had at the end of a regulation cycle it had been going what 2017 was the last major rule change so to come out four years into a regulation cycle and be about a second clear at most tracks was just ridiculous like the qualifying at Silverstone I remember it, which is what I don't know a minute 28 ish maybe like 90 seconds lap and they're a second clear of the next fastest car over a 90 second lap it's just insane and I would, I think if that was, obviously it was a cut short season because of the COVID pandemic, but if that season had gone to a typical distance, you'd be talking about so many more records. And you think like the races they didn't win that year, uh, obviously 17th anniversary was kind of ridiculous tire wear, like you, like of which we don't see it too often at all. And then what else was there? There was uh, obviously Sakir, they basically threw uh, <laughs> and the <laughs> what other race didn't they win? Oh, uh, Abu Dhabi. Oh, Jamie, no. What's happened? I've lost recording. What's it doing? Oh no, it's just my webcam. Give me one second. Sorry. Okay, well the podcast has improved for a second while we can't see Matt's face. Yeah, well, we're um, okay. I'll carry on my monologue before I was rudely interrupted. Please do. Sorry. Um, yeah. So obviously, 70th anniversary and Sakir, they yeah, it was tire wear, and then they they just threw it for a fun to show how good Hamilton was. Uh, and then what was the Abu other Dhabi. race Abu Dhabi when Hamilton was still dying and Bottas is Bottas. So, yeah, the fact that they they very easily could have had a 100% record of wins is just ridiculous. So I, th- I can't look beyond that. And there you are... want to tell us about 75 Ferrari real quick? There, there were, I, mean, I was going to talk about the W11 very briefly as well, but I will talk about that in just a moment. Of course, uh, the other big things, you know, like we said with the W11, the DAS system on it mm-hmm. um you know it was absolutely crazy i still remember of course because i feel like that w11 came at the right time didn't it after formula when we hadn't had anything going on until june i still remember and i know it was only less than three years ago but i still remember vividly those mercs coming out in austria and oh, yeah. i know someone had edited what was it the death star music from star yeah. <laughs> and it just fitted so perfectly yeah because that car was ridiculously overpowered i think it's off a shame uh, that of course that Hamilton only got 16 races in that car because that should 2020 should have been the year that you know Hamilton that should have been Hamilton's comparison year you know with Schumacher's 2004 or 2002 or Mm. Verstappen's 2022 that should have been the year that Hamilton gets all those mega stats and of course couldn't quite get them because of obviously of Covid and well, the fact he had COVID. Uh, talking yeah. of the Ferrari, though, Jamie, of course, like we said, steered Nicky Lauda to his first Formula One World Championship. I'm trying to remember his teammate. 
uh, just quickly. Uh, um, Clay Regazzoni? It was That's Clay Regazzoni, wasn't oh, it? Yeah, you're spot my on. My knowledge of Rush is unreal. <laughs> so, unfortunately, Clay Regazzoni took no pole positions in the car. In a 14-race campaign, Nicky Lauda took all but five. So, wow. very, very good in that regard. However, over those 14 races as well, he took one, two, three, four, five wins with a further three podiums. Clay Regazzoni took two, uh, sorry, one win uh, with a further two podiums. So, it wasn't the completely dominant car for both drivers, but we've also got to remember that he was going up against Emerson Fittipaldi and Lotus back then were absolutely incredible. Uh, but if I remember correctly, Ferrari, yeah, they did squeeze out the Constructors' they Championship did. as well. But what was even more fascinating about that was the fact that every other team in the entire grid was Ford DFE powered that year. That is pretty incredible. Actually. Ferrari like were Ferrari. the only team not powered by the Ford DFE, and they still were able to win. Yeah, which is really treading your own path completely. But uh, as we were just saying, I, I, I think that Mercedes probably has to win. We look like such fanboys of Mercedes, and I'm wearing a German football shirt. I'm not a Mercedes fan, I promise. Um, but the first two rounds, I think we have to go with them. Yeah, I think in Mercedes is fair there. And of course, I think the last other little thing, wasn't it? Uh, was, of course, you know, everyone talks about how cool that car looked in black. Um, mm. But also the meaning behind why it was yeah. black as well, I think, goes more to its iconic status um, than, you know, a lot of the on-track performance of that car as well. You know, the fact it was there to prove a point as well, I think is quite important. Yeah, yeah. Next up, though, Jamie, it's the other Mercedes. We've had all three Mercedes in the first three groups. Oh, this time round, <laughs> it's the Mercedes W07 against the Benetton B195. I, I'm concerned it's going to be three out of three off the bat for Mercedes. <laughs> uh, I think I really like it. 2016 is probably my most underrated season. And if, like, if I was to pick a season to uh, rewatch basically on repeat, I could happily rewatch that. The storyline was incredible. The outcome was incredible as a Rosberg fan. Uh, and yeah, just the the amount of wins they got. Kind of like the 2020 car. They they didn't take the win in Spain when Hamilton took out Rosberg. And Other way around, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was bait, but it was a 50-50. And uh, the other one was Malaysia when Rosberg got blown up by Vettel at turn one and Hamilton had an engine failure from the lead. So they... Obviously, when you make the fastest car, yes, it's going to win most races. But they were on to win every race, apart from when like they self-destructed completely. It's still the incredible. most wins for a team in a single season at 19 mm -hmm. as well. It's um, one of the it's the second highest rate of all time. The, yes, yeah. Second highest rate of all well. time as well. Uh, just under... No, uh, sorry, yeah, just over... Just, just under 19. No, it is uh, just over 19. Races, sorry, I'm, I'm going to keep... Keep messing myself up there. It's just over ninety percent win rate, if I'm not mistaken. Ninety point nine. Ninety point five. Yeah. Ninety point five. Sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just on the maths. <laughs> it goes up against the Benetton B one nine five. Now, again, I mentioned this when I did the poll originally. Uh, it was a toss up between the B one nine four and the B one nine five. I put the B one nine five in because it didn't have a controversial ending to its Formula One World yeah. Championship. Schumacher absolutely dominated in 1995. Of course, 
went on to win his second world title. Williams just didn't have an answer for him. I mean, Damon Hill came P2, 33 points behind. And this was, of course, back in an era uh, where there were 10 points for a win. They did trade wins away from each other early on in the campaign. Um, but then, yeah, really from the second half onwards, unless he had a big issue, uh, Schumacher basically won pretty much every race. With the exception of Australia, where he retired. Italy, where he retired. Hungary, where he came P11. And Silverstone, where he retired as well. And then also the Portuguese Grand Prix, he came second to David Coulthard. Mm, interesting. And his teammate was Johnny Herbert. I his teammate was Johnny Herbert, who took the who... win at Italy and the win at Britain as well. Yes, and two other podiums. But they, interestingly, they didn't win the Constructors by a lot. But I do think that's probably more down to the strength of Williams drivers versus Johnny Herbert. Yes. Compared to like like Coulthard and uh, Hill at that time were probably both like very capable race winning drivers probably could have both maybe won a championship in their career obviously Hill did Coulthard didn't um, but Johnny Herbert didn't really ever get up to much in his career to be fair um, I uh, this car is pretty iconic I think just in terms of looks it's one of my favorites of all time just because of the the color scheme the the shape of it is really nice um, basic stuff like that and obviously the Schumacher helmet inside for his second championship is yeah pretty pretty iconic but then both of these are and uh i think i have to back the mercedes again which is is poor but it's also the car i won my first league racing season in so I, that, that that also helps <laughs> <laughs> okay i mean i think this is the thing isn't it we're, we're talking about a very very good benetton um against a Basically, on I mean, you forgot to mention the caveat, of course, that um, the Mercedes wasn't the quickest car every weekend that year. It shouldn't have won the Monaco Grand Prix, but of course no. still did, uh, thanks to Red Bull's botched pit stop for Daniel Ricciardo. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it is one of the, I think for many people, because of course we've seen so many very strong years of Mercedes domination, because it wasn't dominated by one driver... 2016 has kind of forgotten for just how ridiculously OP that car was mm. most weekends. Uh, of course, it was the third year in that development cycle as well. Uh, but in Mercedes, after Ferrari had been a bit closer in 2015, they just never really, no one really got a look in, in 2016. No. no Next up, though, Jamie, this one, <laughs> I, this one's going to be interesting. I mean, I've said this that about every single one so far, but still. Braun versus F2002. Yeah, this is real, like, nostalgia vibes going on <laughs> for us, I assume. Because 2009 is probably the first F1 season I vividly remember all of. Because um, obviously when you're growing up watching the sport, that's... I was like, I was nine years old at the time. Uh, there's so many good memories from 2009. The, the field spread... I, I, I was watching a video actually on, on field spread generally. Was it on the race? On the recently. race. Yeah, yep, um, I've seen the same one. And what it was like the whole field was within like 1.3%. 1. 1. 1. It? It was yeah. one of the closest, because of how unpredictable everything was, yeah. it was one of the closest field spreads of all time. Uh, but that so, like, isn't what we're discussing. No, it isn't. But the, the Braun as well, just the story behind it, they, Ross Braun bought the team for a quid, one pound, <laughs> and then won the world championship in a car with no sponsors no real paint scheme apart from just painting a few accents on it which looks incredible two drivers who probably would never have thought they were going to be in a championship fight the year before and against all odds really came out on top against yeah the might of mclaren and ferrari and the rising stars of red bull at the time 
with Sebastian Vettel, of course. So in terms of iconography, I, the brawn is very, very high, but also the F2002 is just ridiculous. Like the numbers they put up that season was one of the most dominant of all time. It, it turned people off of Formula One at the yeah. time, yeah. which I think is hard to go up against. I think this is the crazy thing, isn't it? We we sort of that Ferrari was the pinnacle of Ferrari, the height of their powers, absolutely dominant. You know, Schumacher got a podium in every single race that year in that car. Of course, he used the F two thousand and one for the first couple of races, but we're not going to worry about that. Uh, you know, the F two thousand and two was just on another level and was pretty much, I'd say. You know, it's either this or the 2004 car, isn't it? That Ferrari were pretty much as close to building the perfect race car they could. Yeah. Um, but obviously, on the other hand, that Braun GP car was the perfect race car that should never have existed. No. Uh, you know, no. the fact that... It, and it, it wasn't that dominant. You know, it, over the entire course of the year, Red Bull actually in the end had a quicker car uh, yeah. than Braun. Uh, Jensen obviously won, what was it, five of the first six no, Grand Prix? Six, six out of seven. Was it six out of seven, sorry? Yeah, yeah. And then never won again. Obviously, Rubens yeah. Barrichello picked up a couple of other wins at Valencia and um, Monza later on in the year. But yeah. of course, every other team had caught up and overtaken them by the summer and break. And Button had two more podiums after his run of six and seven wins. Which is he mad. He got a, a podium in Monza and a podium yep. in Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi, that was so, it. That yeah, was it. it really wasn't that fast, but. Uh, it's it's iconic they're both really iconic but they're iconic I've... for completely the opposite reasons aren't yeah, they yeah. one of them iconic for just completely <clears throat> expected domination and one of them iconic for the fact that it dominated incredibly briefly but never should have mm, yeah of course helped I... by the double diffuser let's not forget oh, yeah special yeah. shout out yeah shout out to double diffuser and the zero upgrades throughout the year as well um i think i'm just looking at the 2002 standings Schumacher got Schumacher wrapped it up at France, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And he would have won the Constructors' Championship by himself, if I remember yeah. correctly. So he got um, double the points of Barrichello and almost three times the points of the next non-Ferrari driver. It was sickeningly OP. Which is ridiculous. <laughs> However... Well, that's, that's the equivalent of, like, I don't know what this year. How many... Leclerc must have finished at around 350. That's the equivalent like that. of Leclerc having 230 points come the end of the year to Max's 460. And then George Russell or, Le- or Perez finishing third with like 170 points. Yeah. Yeah. Just let's, let's quickly as well remember, Jamie, on the other hand, of course, Braun GP was controversial because of his double diffuser. The F2002, of course, being controversial because of Austria. Um, yeah, but well, that wasn't the car's fault, was it? It wasn't the car's <laughs> fault, but of course, got to be remembered got to be taken into consideration and they gave austria back at usa so it's fine did they mean to though that's always yeah, the question Schumacher did are you sure well he claimed it so i'm, gonna, he, I'm of gonna course he it. claimed it because he would look like a right <laughs> mug if he said he didn't mean to i i'm I, gonna completely let you decide this one i think the ferrari edges it just, okay but it's it, it saddens me because it, i love it, the brawn yeah it's difficult to fight against that brawl but also then we would effectively put near enough four, four mercedes, mercedes car through, through. <laughs> Oh, okay. It's the Battle of the V10s up next, Jamie. Mm. F2004 versus MP4-13. So this, was, this was 1998 Mika Hakkinen's championship winner. Of course, came off the back of a couple of years of Williams winning and, of course, won the final race in 1997 to take his debut Formula 1 win. And 1998 was kind of a wild year uh, for Formula yeah. 1. We had the V10 engines, we had groove tyres, 
and still no traction control. This thing was Larry, um, but Mika did steer it to an incredible first world title. Yes, and the 98 season for Mika was so much better than the 99 season. <laughs> yeah, the 1999 um, one was not great. No, and he completely was pushed to the absolute limit by Michael Schumacher. And I think Hakkinen is probably Schumacher's most respected rival. Um, oh, absolutely. Self, like, self-admitted. So, And the livery on this is insane. It's so nice. And the McLaren, the, the West livery with the names. Did it have names on the side, this one? Or was that a bit later on? I believe it just had the West on the side still at this yeah. point. Yeah, but it's insanely nice. Obviously, you've got that probably one of the most iconic overtakes in Formula history. Uh, on no. the uh, inside. Yes? Not yet, no. Spa? No. Jamie, 1998 oh. Spa was the one Damon Hill won. You're thinking of 2000 Spa. Yes, I am. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> that was a couple of years later. And also, it's not as iconic as Turn 5 of Abu Dhabi in 2021. But um, yeah, I do think this car is insane. Did it? I. It did win the constructors as well, yes. It did win the constructors uh, the as well. The yeah. teammates, was third, Irvine for Ferrari was fourth. So I guess both drivers won their respective battles against the uh, Ferrari drivers that year for McLaren. Yeah. Um, but up against the F2004, I think it struggles, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. The, the F2004, of course, Michael Schumacher should have won, what was it, 13 Grand Prix in a row? 13 in a row. Had he not been taken out of Monaco? Yes, and that is a record. I mean, obviously, it's a hypothetical record because he didn't win 13 in a row. No. But that had he destroyed any Formula One record. <laughs> yeah, 13 wins in a row at the start of a Formula One year is just beat. Well, I mean, I say at the start of the Formula One year, that's basically, basically the entire the <laughs> Formula One year. Of course, only really got stopped when Kimi Raikkonen and McLaren, Kimi at Spa, of course, in that era mm. was magic. Um, and obviously, McLaren and Williams, you know, they'd fought so hard in 2003. Uh, if, to be honest, the F2004 was kind of a bit like Red Bull's RB18, wasn't it? In yeah. the sense of it came after a mega title battle when you expected a team to potentially drop the board and it was all their rivals that did instead. Uh, but yeah, the F2004, absolutely dominant. Mika Hakkinen, of course, this was definitely his much better Formula 1 World Championship. Mika Hakkinen. Oh, sorry, you're back on yeah. the first car. I'm like, back on the first car, Ferrari. yeah. Um... <laughs> But you can't... I mean, the F2004 is still, for so many people, the most iconic Formula 1 car of all time. Whether yeah. it will be today is a different question. Next yeah. up, though, Jamie. Red Bull RB9 <laughs> versus Williams FW14B. Mm. 2013 is another season that I, I think is very underrated. Um, until Pirelli ruined it by giving yeah. Red Bull OP tyres. Yeah. Uh, but against the Williams which was basically cheating against the it rest of the It wasn't cheating <laughs> it was just arguably no, to this day still one of the most advanced Formula 1 cars It of was all so time. ahead of its time it was unbelievably ahead of its time So that is the car just for those of you that are watching or listening um, that you may have seen the clip before of I can't remember which driver it was put it in a gravel trap got it back to the pit lane and rather than, of course, than scooping everything out, this was the Williams F1 car with active suspension. So it just <laughs> shook. It just moved up and down side to side and shook most of the gravel out. Shook the gravel out. And, yeah, it was one of the most dominant cars in terms of numbers as well. I need to actually On raw pace alone, the most dominant Formula 1 car of all time. On average, it was 2.5% quicker than any other car on the grid. 
which is a bit <laughs> like showing up at Spa in a modern, in like in Mercedes twenty twenty car, and out qualifying Max Verstappen by two seconds or two and a half seconds. Yeah, that's how yeah. ridiculously OP the FW fourteen B was. Should have won every race that year, but Monaco. Had it not been for reliability, and also it was Senna at Monaco. Senna at Monaco. You can't do much about that, really. Uh, they got all but one, one pole, pole position. which was Gerhard Berger, if I no, remember correctly, Senna the British at, Grand Prix. Uh, Senna at Canada. No, that was the MP44. Sorry, ignore me. Yeah, Senna, Senna at Canada. Canada. Yeah. Uh, Mansell got all but two poles. Patrese got the other one. Yeah. <laughs> and Senna got the other one. So, yeah, it was pretty insane they did absolutely batter the constructors yep um as you'd hope with a car two and a half percent quicker than anything else (laughs) yeah it was also the earliest with in terms of how many races left a driver won a world championship wasn't it yeah because mansell won with six races to go wasn't it to go yeah because he he won basically every race up until germany which was six races from the end and then only won one more which is quite poor by the standards he set in the first half of the season but I guess he was too busy off playing golf. Yeah, yeah, potentially. Um, and yeah, the 2013 Red Bull, of course, was it was kind of always a little step ahead of the rest of the field up until the start of Sebastian Vettel's record-breaking winning run of nine in a row from Spa onwards. Um, so, like, I think the first half of the season, which would have been uh, maybe. Was it 11 races? I think it's 20 race season overall. It was 19 but race year. Owned. So 10 races, first 10 races, I think Vettel won four of them. And then in the final nine races, Vettel won every single one. <laughs> yeah. Which is insane. And no one could really hold a candle to him other than Roman his teammate <laughs> and occasionally Roman Grosjean in a Lotus, which is quite mad. Um, and actually, Rosberg put up a good fight a little, uh, maybe once or twice. <laughs> but um, yeah, the car though wasn't the fastest qualifier I don't think that year although for some reason Mercedes were just ludicrously good at qualifying and then couldn't couldn't hold their tyres together for more than two laps um, but yeah it's it's very hard it's probably the most iconic Red Bull Oh, yeah. I would argue this or the 2021 just for the amount of controversy and drama that happened that year but this is probably the most cleanly iconic one <laughs> yeah um, yeah but I think the history of Williams and the fact that this was two and a half percent quicker than anything else that people came up with that year, I think the Williams has to win out. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Because, of course, the Red Bull RB9 was therefore dominant because of a rule change that just so happened to suit them really well. The FW14B was dominant because it had ABS, traction control. They'd even experimented with a CVT gearbox, active suspension. You know, some people still say that car is more advanced than Formula One cars of today. Um, and, you know, the you fact that we... On it, yeah. The fact we sort of think of Williams now as kind of this not particularly great Formula One team. Let's also not forget that 1992 car was also stunning to look at as well. Yeah. And yeah. I know a lot of people like the RB9's looks, but the step... Well, not the step nose, but the nose it had on it um, and everything like that, of course. Don't get me wrong. Very, very iconic for the shots at India, for example, where obviously Vettel yeah. got out and bowed to it. But I wonder how much more iconic they are because of how much then the rest of his career went. You know, the, yeah. we have to remember these this days. I think everyone sort of, of laughed at and yeah. was like, oh, he's going to win another one quite soon. Um, but the FW14B for me is 
an iconic car rather than iconic because of the driver as well in said yeah. car. Yeah, I think we have to go for the Williams there. Apologies to the Seb fans, but you've put the wrong one through. Don't do I it. Don't, I haven't done it. Don't worry. Don't worry. That was it's close. fine. It's that was fine. Very close. R25 versus FW07B. Hmm. I will start by talking about the Renault since that's kind of all I know about. Okay. Um, yeah, the 2005 was the end of Ferrari's winning run, of course. Basically the end of Ferrari up until this point, really. Um, but, yeah, people were not expecting it at all. I guess the only caveat here is kind of a bit like 2021. The FIA kind of manipulated the rules to favour a team against the dominant force. Serrano were big, like had a lot of help from the FIA to make a car that could challenge Ferrari, and the rules were basically set up to screw over Ferrari, which is why the 05 season was such a disaster. Um, but the the visuals of this car, it was as I was growing up, it was my favourite car. Weirdly, I chose to support Fisichella rather than Alonso, um, but the the colour scheme, the the blue and yellow, was just outrageous, and the V10 engine, the last of the V10s. Um, was incredible obviously alonso is a lot of people's hero um from who grew up at this stage it's a little bit before our time i think um but still is absolutely incredible there was this was the car with the uh active nose weight wasn't it which people think was probably I, illegal the mass damper i th- yeah i thought was the 06 car to be honest but you might be right I can't quite remember off the top of my head. Let me have a look. Um, I, I've just realised as well, sorry, we meant the FW07C. Williams, on like trying to do research for this, Williams changed around their car names and numbers so often at this point and none of them made any sense. Uh, but this was the 1981 car uh, that steered Nelson Piquet to a world championship. And what was actually Williams' first ever Formula 1 world championship as well, of course, with the fly Saudi colours. A very, very close championship come the end of the year now i don't think going into the final race it was five drivers still within a shout but had there been another race in 1981 it would have been a five driver (laughs) decider but it was pk that won the title by a single point over carlos reutemann uh four points over alan jones's teammate six over jacques lafitte and seven over alan prost which is absolutely mad so it certainly wasn't a dominant force uh within the sport there pk took three wins across the year against Reutemann's two and Alan Jones's two. Um, but of course, you know, it was the start of a very, very dominant couple, or they had periods of dominance uh, throughout the next couple so, of decades yeah. uh, for Williams. Yeah. Equally, the Renault was not that dominant in terms of wins because the no. McLaren trophy by Kimi Raikkonen and Montoya that year was probably... As the MP425 should have been an iconic, and I mean, it still is for a lot of people, but should yeah. have been in this poll instead. <laughs> yeah, it's iconic for flying down Nürburgring towards turn one with three wheels, uh, sadly. But yes, uh, I, Suzuka I think this as was well. a, a very close call. Um, I would edge towards the Renault just because of the iconography. And I completely agree with you. Yeah. I don't I th- think the Renault will go all the way, though, to be honest. No. It's a bit of a weak matchup compared to some of the ones we've had. But it I would has Renault. probably, yeah, been the weakest matchup across the board. Um, but yeah, the Williams, don't get me wrong, very, very cool as well. But yeah. just, it, there's something about it. There's something about it that it sticks in my mind, but I completely understand it won't for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Final group stage then, Jamie. Brabham BT19 versus the McLaren MP4-4. 
Yes. I feel and like this, this one is, is an fairly whitewash. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's it's 1988 McLaren is one of the favourites for the whole thing. It's absolutely heavyweight of F1 cars of all time. The Brabham is cool because it's the only car ever won by the driver that uh, like owned the team, which is really cool. Jack, Jack Brabham won the championship in his own car, which is, yeah, very commendable. But that McLaren was insane. <laughs> we, we talk about, you know, Mercedes earlier on winning 19 or 21 races or 2020, you know, they could have won every race there. McLaren in 1988, sorry, came five laps away from the perfect Formula One season. It was only the Italian Grand Prix uh, where, if I'm not mistaken, Senna got, uh, I think Prost got taken out and Senna had an engine failure five laps from home, which allowed Michele Alboreto to take the win for Ferrari. And not long after, Enzo Ferrari had died. Whether you want to believe that's a... Was it Gerhard Berger, was it? Sorry. I honestly thought it was Alboreto that took that win. Um... But, you know, whether you want to believe there's potential for some, for some conspiracy there as well, it's completely up to you. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, the MP4-4 was just... I mean, it's one of the only times as well in Formula 1 history it has been the two best drivers on the mm-hmm. grid going up against each other in the same car. In the best car. <laughs> in the best car. And, like we said, 15 out of 16 wins, 15 out of 16 poles five laps away from the basically perfect year it was just i think again gerhard berger that got pole at britain, britain ahead of yep, them that's correct um just and again one of the best looking formula one cars oh, of all yeah. time as well yeah so apologies to jack brabham but uh you've been blown out of the water so <laughs> you, you kind of have yeah. there unfortunately you did come up against like the mp4-4 that 1998 mclaren sort of whole thing is the kind of thing you get written about in a book that you just wouldn't... But it, It's yeah. kind of like if Messi and Ronaldo had both played at Barcelona together. At is that, is that a fair... Yeah. Probably, yes. Yeah. Like, like the unquestionably two OP. best drivers in a team that was ridiculously OP compared to everyone else. So... Just... And they somehow won all the races despite having the two best drivers and the, we know the fireworks that went on later with those two. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. This was before everything kind of hit the fan. Also, the title was won by Alan Prost that year, wasn't it? If I remember correctly, no. was Senna. it Senna? Did oh, yeah, call Senna yourself won... a Senna fan? Yeah. No. It, what... No. I always get muddled up because for that whatever reason, I had in my head that Senna won ninety one and ninety two, but I don't know shocking. why. It was Senna. Comments. Abs- go get him. Go get me, please. <laughs> go get me. Um, but that was only because, of course, the point scoring system that year allowed drop rounds. Drop rounds, Prost yeah, did yeah. actually score more points yeah, over the course of the campaign. It wasn't quite comfortably. 105 to 94. Yeah. So 11, more than a race win. More than a race win. But Senna did have more. He got disqualified at Brazil, first of yeah. all. Um, <laughs> right. Well, I mean, we've, we've kind of done a lot of talking about each yeah, of the cars, we? can we? try and rinse through this so about. We we've can, done a lot of I background. I think we can hurry up with, with our quarterfinals <laughs> and semis and things like that. 196 then, Jamie, versus W11. These are basically, like, if you think about iconic Mercedes, these are the two that come to mind, I would say. Yes. So, I instinctively want to say 2020, but I know how beautiful that 55-56 car was. But I just think, maybe it's recency bias, maybe it's just how far F1 has come, but to to drop a second on everyone in 2020, when everyone is quite credible as a team... Is just ridiculous. 
and of course the fastest F1 car of all time. Oh yeah, yeah. In terms of lap time, there's nothing going to beat that for a while. So I think I would go with that, which is a real shame because the 55 car is obviously incredible to look at and has massive history. But this is the nature of the game, so we move. I'm I'm willing to allow Jamie to put that one through. F2002 <laughs> versus W07. Mm. And yeah, I was saying that I really like the 2016 Mercedes, but it's probably more to do with personal nostalgia, to be honest. Rosberg finally snoopering one away from Lewis. Getting a championship. My league racing memories all start with a Mercedes 2016 car, um, which is a big part of my life for the last six years. So, yes, I think my head says the 2002 Ferrari, my heart says the Mercedes 2016, but logic will prevail and i think we'll go for the f2002 <laughs> good man good man because i was yeah. going to argue with you on that one if you'd said the w07 no, yeah. uh f2004 versus fw14b oh this could be the final this is the evil group <laughs> stage this is the evil yeah. quarterfinal sorry that is a real matchup of two titans i would lean towards the williams Okay, I was going to lean towards the Ferrari, to be honest. I, I would have thought the other way around based on our, our previous loyalties. Um, oh, yeah, this is what I'm thinking, though, because now I think you're right. I think... If, let me go get this I mean, it was, the thing is, I'm sort of thinking, this was the last Schumacher championship car. True. And we've... Oh, there's no other... Oh, no, there is a Schumacher car through already. There okay. is a Schumacher car through already. <laughs> Actually, the fact he was uh, Montoya away from 13 wins in a row. <laughs> I, I think we will get absolutely roasted in the yes. comments. Yes, let's put the Ferrari through. I back yeah. off on what I said. <laughs> I think, <laughs> Which yeah. is a real shame because the FW14B is ridiculously iconic. I mean, we're but... talking about some incredibly iconic yeah, Formula yeah. 1 cars here. It's very, very difficult. Uh, R25 versus MP4-4. I think this one's slightly easier, isn't it? It should be, yeah. MP4-4, isn't it? Gotta yes. be. Gotta be. And now is where the stuff gets very difficult. Oh. <laughs> These are some matchups. <laughs> Mercedes W11 versus Ferrari F2002. The seventh world title for one, the fifth world title for the other. Fastest this F1 car of all time hard. versus what I'm pretty certain was the fastest F1 car of all time at the time. At the time. Uh, yes. I don't want to be done by recency bias, but I think... I feel like the W11... I think if the F2004 wasn't in the other group, I feel like we might have given it... I'd put the FW... I'd put the, I'd put the 2004 Ferrari through against the 2020 Mercedes. I don't think i quite put a 2002 Ferrari through. No, I feel if like I mean. the 2002 wasn't as dominant as the 2004, plus that little bit of controversy around it. Um, and the fact Mercedes... <laughs> despite the shorter season absolutely battered everything yeah and like also the uh the social awareness it raised for the like, exactly as matter all that kind of stuff the fact hamilton won his seventh the fact they they were very few really unlikely things away from winning every race basically yeah i think it has to be the mercedes which announced death in the comments when we yeah. just said that <laughs> the problem is though Jamie I know I've, I've seen what's coming here I, Ferrari fans are going to be out for us <laughs> I think the McLaren MP4-4 deserves to go through 
I agree with you. Really? Yeah. Oh, right. It's a, <laughs> okay. a real shame. Okay, that is interesting. <sighs> and the thing is, I think for me, like we like we said, you know, that McLaren was the only time in Formula One history we've really had a super team. Yeah. Schumacher. Yeah. If you could. Schumacher yeah, is you... well remembered in that F two thousand and four, but is that because of Schumacher or I mean, it's, oh, it's so difficult, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. If you think of iconic cars, everything about the McLaren in nineteen eighty eight. If you could pick, it was the perfect the team, team, the perfect the two drivers, drivers, the perfect car. And yeah, I just think the F two thousand and four, despite everything, is just a bit done by the McLaren 1988 because they were five laps from winning every race like how can you argue with that you, you can't in our eyes but that does then I think also give us a fairly easy final for a comment you made a moment ago that I agree mm. with because we both said the F2004 would beat out the W11 yeah, yeah so I think that means we've got a winner we do we do and I'm sure you're pleased as the uh, resident historical McLaren fan <laughs> the center of the centerite of the pair of us yeah. who doesn't know anyone his titles but yeah uh, might I have think... forgot briefly <laughs> hey, you said that the Hakkinen Zonterm Schumacher move was 1998 that's a less bad mistake <laughs> I'm not having that but yes the McLaren 1988 does have to be the most iconic the F1 McLaren MP4-4 is the most iconic F1 car of all time and if I look back through my polls quickly yeah go look at the poll I actually want to know the answer uh, well, I haven't got the full oh, confirmation the just full. yet. No. But uh, I think the McLaren actually lost to the F2004 in one in the group stage in, wow. in my polls, if I remember correctly. Let me just scroll back down. Uh, it was the worst group of the entire thing, or like the hardest group of the entire thing. Yep, yeah, the yeah. 2004 took 50% of the vote. Uh, the MP4-4 took 29% of the vote. The Braun took 13 and the Red Bull took 8 there we go. Wow. Most so, iconic Formula One car of all time. We absolutely disagree with your with your viewers there. We do. But, uh, we do completely. Hopefully they don't they don't crucify us too badly in the comments. No, no, exactly. <laughs> exactly. To be fair, the W eleven did dominate its group as well, so uh, there, yeah. there is that going for it. However, uh, no, the F two thousand four is absolutely destroying the Red Bull RB eighteen as well. Uh, in the poll that's just gone live <laughs> very recently as well. There we go. McLaren MP4-4. It was slightly less controversial than the last one of these we did, but it has been very, very good fun, Jamie, uh, once again there. Indeed. 15 out of 16 wins, 15 out of 16 pole positions. Pretty certain it was something ridiculous, like 27 out of a possible 32 podiums as well, uh, which it was just mind-boggling. And like we said, the perfect team, the perfect driver pairing, the perfect and most iconic Formula 1 car. Thank you all so much for listening. Let us know how badly wrong we've got it uh, down in the comments below. Jamie, as always, it's been a pleasure as well. But I think, always, yes. I think that's going to do us for this week's episode of Knowing Wheel. Of course, we're getting hyped up, ready for the car reveals. We will be back next Tuesday with more. I think we're going to be going back to normal news next time around because this has probably been the final ever episode of Knowing Wheel uh, based on those results. <laughs>